does it feel to live in darkness? In Genesis, the universe was dark, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. That was physical light. But the world was still spiritually dark. And Jesus, when he came, he was light that was sent by the Father, for Jesus declared in John 8, I am the light of the world. And when he came, he pierced the darkness. And that one single light brought light and life to the world. And now we, who are in Christ, his disciples are now his light. And so as his light, we too, like him, are to shine. Turn on the house lights if you would. Jesus, in this discourse, described for us in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, is the longest record of a message that he spoke to those who desired and those who were his disciples. At this particular stage in his ministry, he had very few genuine disciples because his ministry had really just begun. And he was instructing his disciples on what it took to become a fully devoted Christ follower, what it meant to be a disciple. And in this description of a disciple, he gives us then some beatitudes of which we have gone through one by one in the last several Sundays. And we have discussed, we have described, and we have defined in the words of Jesus what it means to be a Christ follower. And at the end of those beatitudes, there's a special beatitude where he says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Persecution is one of the beatitudes of the disciple, of the Christ follower. It is something that is bound to happen when we begin to exhibit these qualities of a disciple of Christ and begin to live out our lives following his example. Jesus said that we would be persecuted because he too was persecuted. We live in a hostile world. And we saw last Sunday how living in this hostile world that we were called by God, endowed with a special DNA, so to speak, of a Christ follower, which is salt. He called us to be salt to the earth. Today he's describing the second aspect of the DNA of the disciple in which we are then to be the light of the world. What exactly does he mean by that? Well, he means that we are basically the light that is to penetrate or to pierce the darkness of the world. For the world that we live in is a spiritually dark place. I wish we had a place in here this morning where we could have created complete and total darkness. Because the world is described in the New Testament in many passages as a very, very, very dark place. It is so dark, in fact, that you cannot see your hand in front of your face. Have you ever been in a place that dark? And when it's that dark, you literally cannot see anything. And the world that we live in is described as being a place, those who are outside of Christ, the unbelieving world, is described in the New Testament as a place of darkness. We used to reside, we used to live, we used to dwell in that darkness. 
But then when there was a moment in time when Jesus reached down in the despair of our own darkness and pulled us up into the light. And as he brought us into the light, he placed his light within us. And now through Christ and the light that dwells within us, we are now sent out into the world to be the light of a dark, dark world. As his disciples, as his followers, like him who was the light, we are to become the light of the world. He says for us, interestingly enough, in Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 15, not on your screen, just listen to the words, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning with verse 4, But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. 1 Peter 2, 9, it says, I love this passage. You should memorize this passage. 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were once a child of the darkness. You were a product of that darkness. And through faith in Christ, he illuminated himself in you and brought you out of darkness and into light. And he's calling us today as the light of the world to shine. Yes, you as his disciples are the light of the world. We are. That's a wonderful admonition. And so I want to take a look at this text in Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 14, 15, and 16. This three-sentence mini sermon inside the large sermon. You know, as I thought about this this week, I thought about how many times I've been in a setting like this where a pastor, after he has preached a, a very lengthy message, then sort of prays, and when he prays, he prays another sermon. You ever been in one of those? Kind of a mini sermon to the after sermon. And I got to thinking about this is not a prayer that Christ has, but it's one point, and in this one point, it has three subpoints. Unlike me, I usually have about 10 subpoints, right? Can I get an amen to that? Okay, I just want to make sure you're with him. But we only have three points today. And in this mini sermon, we have for us to describe, first of all, we have the exhortation, the explanation, and we will see the execution of what Jesus is indicating to us. So let's look, first of all, at the exhortation, Matthew 5, verse 14. He says, you are the light of the world. Just like last week, it's almost like a repetition. We see the very same thing described for us as disciples in which Jesus is saying to us, those of us who are his disciples have this special, this certain, this particular DNA. Here's the exhortation. An exhortation simply means it's a command. It's not an option for us. That if we are in the light and we possess the light, then we are then to exhibit the qualities and the characteristics of light in the world. As a disciple, this is a command to be light. So it's an exhortation to be light. So in this exhortation, let's take a look at the word you. 
Here we see the call of the Lord to those who are his disciples. We saw last week that more than likely there are a minuscule, a very small number of genuine true disciples when Jesus preaches this message on the Sermon on the Mount. There are not many disciples, genuine disciples at this time. And he's singling them out, and he's saying to me, I am calling you out to be the light of the world. You who are my disciples are to be the light. You, my disciples, if you're a disciple of Christ, this is his call to you, and his call is to be the light. The call is to you who are his disciples. If you look at the text, you are the, the light of the world. Are. We saw last week, that's a confirmation. It's not something that, that hopes to become a reality or something that he's expecting to become a reality. It's a reality already. You are. In light of your faith in Jesus and in light of Christ dwelling in your hearts and in light of you being a Christ follower, a disciple of Jesus, you are the light of the world. If you claim to be a Christian, a follower of Christ, a disciple of his, you are. Turn to your neighbor and look at him in the eye and say, you are whether you want to be or not. That's a confirmation from Jesus. <coughs> Excuse me. You are the light of the world. A confirmation already. Whether you want to be or not, you are. That's what Jesus says. As my disciples. Well, what if I don't want to be? Sorry, you don't get a choice. Well, what about free will? You know, the moment you became a Christ follower, you gave up free will. Let me say that again. <clears throat> the moment you became a Christ follower, you gave up free will. You have no will. Well, wait a minute. I do have a will. Yeah, you do. But as a Christ follower, you really don't. Because your will now must become his will if you are to be his disciple. So your will is to give up your will to claim and to follow and to purposefully do his will. And so you are, as his disciples, the. Notice in that word the, there's a collaboration here. You are the one and only. <coughs> Excuse me. I thought about it last week. You know, sometimes you talk about someone being the man. They're the, the man. They're the man. They're the one and only. Well, here he's saying, you are the one and only light that I have chosen, that I have purposed in order to reflect and to illuminate a world filled with darkness. You are the one and only means and method by which I have chosen to bring light to a world that is filled with darkness. You are the only hope right now of the world. The world has no other light other than you as a Christ follower. You are the one and only. And if you and I do not shine, the light will not then go forth into a darkened world, and the world will never know, never hear, never understand, and never come to believe Jesus as their Savior. That's why in a minute he's going to talk about the, 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 the illustration. He says, don't hide your light under a bushel. Because the world is in desperate need of our light in a world that is filled with darkness and damnation. And unless we, as the light, fulfill our purpose in a darkened world, the world will not know or experience the hope that we've come to know in Christ. You are the one and only, the means and the method by which he has chosen to bring light into a darkened world. I don't, I don't care if you think that, that, that you've you know, you got the short end of the stick or maybe you don't have a lot to offer or, or you're not super talented or gifted or you're maybe in some obscure place that nobody thinks they even know who you are. Guess what? I don't care how dark it may get out there and how minuscule and how small you may think your light is. 
But no matter how small you may think your light is, that small spark in the midst of utter darkness shines incredibly bright, the glory of the Lord. You are the hope to bring light to a darkened world as his disciples. Notice it says you are the light. The word light is an interesting word. It simply means to dispel the darkness. It's a word that describes a lamp, uh, not a lamp in which we think, but a light, a lamp in the day of Jesus, or or maybe um, uh, a bonfire. But but it, it simply means a light that dispels or dispenses the darkness. It takes away the darkness. And it's interesting in the text, he uses, you are the light, the lamp, the lampstand, the torch that I'm using in the midst of the world that is filled with darkness to bring light into a darkened world. As I mentioned, Jesus said in John 8, he says, I am the light of the world. I am the light. And the moment we placed our faith and trust in Jesus, when we were in our darkness and we saw that, 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 that gospel message being preached and the light of Jesus began to, to flicker through our darkness and we began to see the hope and the light and the life that is found in Christ. And we like, you know, those bugs at night, you know, I've always wondered if, if they knew the ultimate destiny of, of, of the nighttime, you know, following the light and hitting your windshield, would they still do it? You know, they're just attracted to the light, aren't they? But unlike those bugs on our windshield, we are attracted to the light, and the outcome of our lives is entirely different. It's not death, it's life. And that life then is placed in our hearts, and we are then illumined to the reality of the truth of the gospel of Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and all that that means to us. And then we, we receive it. And he builds a permanent residence in our hearts and our lives. The indwelling presence of his spirit that now shines in us. And now through that, that, that shining in us, it reflects from inside of us in a darkened world where we now then are simply a reflection of the light of the Lord Jesus Christ in us. It's kind of like the moon. The moon has, has no light source in and of itself, does it? What does the moon do? It reflects light. Light from where? Light from the sun. And all the particles that are there, you know, those meteors hit it and, it, and they burst and they're little particles. And because there's really no, no wind or anything, they just kind of sit there. And, and when the sun hits it, those white particles then radiate. They reflect the light from the sun. And that's what we are. We simply now are to reflect, we are to radiate, we are to shine forth now the light of the Lord Jesus Christ that dwells within us. And everywhere we go, we are to radiate and to reflect him and his glory. We now are the light, where? To the world. Not to the believing world, but to the unbelieving world, to the world that is still living in darkness. That is our commission, is to reflect the light of the Lord Jesus Christ in a dark world so that they can see his identity, his truth, his grace, and the power of his resurrection through the gospel and its effect in and through our lives. 
We are to radiate and to reflect his glory and his light. That's the explanation, the exhortation here. We, as his disciples, are now to reflect the light of the Lord Jesus that resides in our hearts in a world that is filled with darkness. They may hate us. They may laugh at us. They may ridicule us. They may not want our testimony. And yet we, like the moon, cannot help but yet reflect this brilliant, bright, illuminating presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in a world filled with dark, dark, dark darkness. Not just a little darkness, but total darkness. So Jesus is saying to us as his disciples, as he say then, you are the light of the world. To them and to us, as recorded in Matthew, we see not only the exhortation, but we also see the explanation. What is the explanation? It's, it's kind of similar to an illustration. He illustrates for his disciples what he's talking about. And he says in this text, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. What is he saying? He's saying, first of all, here's the explanation. I want you to be the light of the world in public places. A city on a hill. I don't, anybody ever lived in West Texas before? Anybody here ever lived in West Texas? You know, it's pretty flat there, isn't it? It has a beauty all of its own. But I can remember driving, you know, sometimes visiting those hospitals late at night. And, and as I was coming back to the place where I lived in West Texas, you could see the lights of the city in which we lived a long, long way off. And even though they did look very far, it was miles away. You can see the lights. Here he's talking about that kind of city and those kind of lights. A, a city that is on, not doesn't have to be a mountain, just a little hill. Just, just, just enough, raised up enough so that those at a distance can see. He's talking about the fact that we should be lights, I think, in public places. And that is dangerous to be light in public places where we reside and where we recreate and where we work especially in places that are filled with darkness. I mean, it's hard to be the light in the darkness where you work, isn't it? Now, even though we're in Wichita, Kansas, the reality is that more than likely there are people right now that you work alongside with in the cubicle or next to in that line or, or maybe, you know, in that office space, wherever you work, there, there are some people that are, that are in darkness. And how will they see and how will they know, and how will they ever come to trust Jesus if we sort of uh, kind of act like covert operators on a secret mission, you know, if we choose to accept it and operate in oblivion? Jesus is saying you can't be in a public place and not shine. You just can't. Well, there are times we'd like to hide but well, we can't hide and we shouldn't hide. For we must go out into the community of Wichita and the greater Wichita area, wherever we are, and we must shine out in the public places, but not only in the public places, but he's talking about also in the private places, because here he says, you should not light a lamp, and the lamp is something that is small, it is something that is placed in a home, more than likely in a room, so that all of the residents in the room can be enlightened so that they can see the contents of the room. You ever got up really, really late at night to go, you know, on one of those bathroom visits? And it was completely dark and you forgot to leave a light on? 
especially if you are in a strange place and you've stepped on or stumbled on some things. Now, if you're a parent of young kids, more than likely you've done that probably just recently last week because there's something you forgot to pick up along the way to somewhere in your home and the lights were not on, you either kicked it or stepped on it. And more than likely the thoughts that came out of your words, uh, you know, the, the thoughts that came out of your mouth were probably, you know, not the best ones at that moment. Why do we turn lights on in our house? What's the commercial that says, we'll leave the light on for you? Who is that? Motel, so you know. Why would they leave the light on for us inside the place? So we can see. You know, I think Jesus is saying, not only should we be lights in public places, but we should also be the light of the Lord Jesus Christ in our private places. You know, the reality is it's easy for us to sometimes be light in here, isn't it? I mean, this is Sunday morning, and we like to shine in here, man. And even if we haven't been shining during the week, we sure like to pretend like we have. And we put our, on our mask of shine, you know what I'm talking about, our shining mask for Sunday, like we pick up our Bible that we've not picked up all week, and we pick up our Bible and we put on our mask that's brilliant, that's shining, and say, look, I've been shining for Jesus all week long, yet in the privacy and the the confines of our own home, we have failed to show the reality of our faith. And it's no wonder that many of our children are growing up in homes that eventually, when they become young adults, they vacate the faith that their parents claim because they're not seeing it in the privacy of their homes. You can't have a public testimony and not have a private testimony in the privacy of your own home. I'm not saying you have to be perfect because we all know I'm the only one here perfect. Y'all are catching on. I used to have to cue you in on that. I'm not having to cue you in anymore. Jesus is not saying we have to be perfect. We just have to shine. Shine in our homes for Jesus. Our children and our grandchildren need to see a reflection of the image of the grace, of the mercy, of the forgiveness of Jesus in our lives as we're dealing with them one-on-one. And I think he's also talking about the privacy of our own lives because there's a private life that most of us have in which Jesus sometimes, we say to him, don't touch that publicly okay and in my family okay, but I'm going to have this little private area in my life over here. You can't touch that which is the reason why pornography in in many Christian circles is on the rise and and affairs and, and, and all kinds of darkened acts that we should never commit because we are not dedicating the private parts of our lives, our thoughts and our, our visions and our listening and, and, our, and our emotional life. We're not giving him the private parts and letting him shine there privately, in our homes, in our community. And no wonder our testimonies sometimes are weak or ineffective is because we're not shining the way we should. And the world is frankly not impressed with our Christianity, much less our Jesus. Because if that's what he looks like, not interested. So here we have the explanation, the exhortation. What's the execution? Notice in the text he says, 
In the same way, verse 16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Notice the mission here. Our mission is simply in the same way as I've just talked about in the city and in your home, in the same way as I've talked about that, let your light shine where? Before others, we have to go forth into a world that is filled with nothing but darkness and shine. We weren't meant to just shine in here. We've got to take the light beyond the four corners of the worship setting and shine for Christ wherever we are to go forth. He said, shine before others. The others here are not believers, they're unbelievers. And yet, most of us are pretty quick and pretty apt to shine when we're in a small group setting or when we're in a large worship setting, but shining in front of others who are unbelievers, yes, we are to to go forth. That's our mission. But notice he says, how do I do that? What's the means by which I shine? He said, so that they may see your good works. He's going to talk about good works in a minute, not being sufficient in that our own self-righteousness is not enough. This is going to in the next next Sunday. I'm not talking about self-righteous acts, but he's talking about good works. And these are not works that we do in and of ourselves, but they're works that we do in the power and the strength of the Spirit of Christ who resides in us, that he is working in us and through us. These good works, they're authentic works. They're not works of showmanship. They're not works of performance, but they're authentic caring, loving, gracious acts induced by the Spirit, empowered by the Lord himself. And as we go out into the world doing good works, we are attracting them like a magnet to the gospel of Christ. I think sometimes we forget that we are to be attractional in the world that is filled with darkness. Light attracts. And yet most of us are so busy standing for, for this or for that or declaring this or that or whatever that we have forgotten that we must live in a world filled with darkness to be light that is an attractional light where they see us and they observe us and they say, you know what, I want some of that. I've not seen anybody live a life where there is a peace that surpasses all understanding or a love that transcends sin and understands grace. The world is attracted to that. That's what attracted the darkened world to Jesus. Who did he spend most of his time with? Unbelievers, not believers. And yet he didn't compromise one time on the principles that are there in the word of God. And yet it was the unbelievers that found him just unbelievably attractional. And they they couldn't help but run to him because they found in him hope and grace and peace and a likability. They, They wanted to be like him. They didn't understand him, but they'd never seen anybody like him. And the church was filled with prophets and preachers that were not attractional with the gospel message as Jesus was, which eventually, I'm convinced, led him to his death, an envy and a jealousy as to his attractiveness to the unbelieving world that he lived in. And when people came to him, they found hope, and they found peace, and they found grace. They found a challenge in the cross. He didn't compromise that on the principles and the precepts by which his disciples were to live by but it was always tempered with grace. And so here we see this execution and the means, but notice the motive. What's the motive here? 
The motive is seen in the, in the phrase, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. What's the motive? What's the motive to be light? To glorify the Father and to glorify the Son, not ourselves. We are to be lights that attract people to Jesus, not ourselves. And we hope and we pray that when they look at us and evaluate our good works, they don't see us, they don't praise us, they praise him. It's interesting that unbelievers can, when given the right proper light, can see that it's Christ in us, not ourselves, and they can glorify him. They're being drawn to the Father because they are being given the ability to see. Notice that they may see your good works, and when they see your good works, they will what? They will glorify the Father. Too many churches, I think, are seeking to glorify themselves and to build themselves up rather than the kingdom. And yet many believers are doing the same. I watched an interesting movie. I know it's dangerous to say this in this circle, but I watched Persecution yesterday with Patty yesterday afternoon. It's an interesting movie that's just come out. It's not exactly what I thought it would be. But it was interesting in that movie how this, this evangelist, who didn't claim any affiliation with any denomination, had built up his own kingdom. His own kingdom called the gospel kingdom. And he even said in the film, I built it up with my own hands. And it became more about the money and the programs and the ministries and, and all of that rather than it did to the glory of of the Lord. And the striking thing that I thought was interesting in the movie that most people may miss, in the end, he finally realized as he faced his board of directors who were there, guys, you're missing the mark. It's about bringing glory to God and people to Jesus, not to build an empire called the, the Christian empire or called the church. I think man, if we're not careful, can be very, very tempted to build our own kingdom rather than the kingdom of God that bring glory, brings glory to ourselves rather than him. And the danger is while we build these big edifices and these big buildings and put up these large crosses and do these magnanimous things that we have a tendency to want to do this rather than this. So how do we do what he's asking us to do? I'm going I'm to quickly go through this, and so bring it up on the screen. I want us to quickly look at how we can shine in piercing the darkness around us. Number one, you've got to receive the light. He says you are the salt of the earth, but you're also the light of the world. You can't be salt and you can't be light without first receiving the light. You can fake it, you can play it, you can sing it, you can shout it, you can preach it. But unless you have received the light, you can't live it. Notice that it says in John chapter 8, verse 12, it says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Notice in John 12, 35, so Jesus said to them, the light is among you for a little while longer, Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. <coughs> Excuse me. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going, but you have the light. Believe in the light that you may become what? <coughs> Sons of light. How do you become a son of light? To believe in the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And once you place your faith and trust in him, he 
dwells in us. And we then become a reflector of his light. You can't reflect his light without receiving his light. And there are many across our nation today and, and the world who are sitting in chairs just like you are today, receiving 10 ways to be this and six ways to do that and 11 ways to do that. And they're trying real hard, but you can't reflect what you haven't received. We must first receive the light. Secondly, after we've received the light, we then must recognize that the light lives within us. Unless you recognize that the light of Christ lives within you, you'll never shine. Notice you are the light of the world. Not you will be, or I hope that you will become, but you are. You already are through faith in me. And once we have placed our faith and trust in Jesus as our Savior and Lord, and he builds that permanent residence in our hearts, he puts his light within us, and we then reflect that light, and that light is already in you, the light to shine. And as you build on that relationship with him, you will shine even more. Number three, we then need to resemble a pure light, the pure light of Jesus. It's not enough just to possess the light, but we've got to reflect the light. You know, there's a thing called a black light. I remember when, if, you know, when we were in high school, we, we used to like to have a black light in our room. I don't know why, but it was the thing to do. And don't sit there and think, I don't know what he's talking about. You probably did too. And... Uh, there's nothing worse than a black light because it gives out black light. But we are to give out pure light, bright light, white light, pure light. Ephesians 5, 7 says, therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. We are to resemble the pure and holy light of Christ. We cannot, as his light, afford to allow impurity to reside within our hearts and cloud the light that we need to reflect. And many people have lost their testimony because not reflecting the pure light, not perfect light, but the pure light of Christ. Number four, we need to resist the enemy of light. Or there is an enemy of light. In, first, in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen, it says, And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. They end up they will correspond to their deeds. Not all who are among us are of us. Think about that. What did he just say? Not all who are among us are of us. For Satan also places his servants who resemble righteousness but cannot reflect genuine righteousness because they don't know Christ. We must not only reflect the light, we must be discerners of genuine versus unauthentic light. Because there are those who you may watch on television and you may pick up their books and you may read their blogs or you may surf the web or who knows, who are claiming to be of the light, but who genuinely are not, they are of darkness. And we need to discern who is and who isn't of the light for there are many who satan has placed in our in our path who claim to be light 
but are really darkness. How do you discern who is and who isn't? But you need to resist him. Number five, reflect then the true light. I need to reflect the true light. To reflect the light of Christ. Notice in 16 it says, as we already talked about in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Christ died so that we could shine. And when he rose from the dead, he empowered us to be light in the midst of a darkened world. And his light that resides in us should live in us. And we must reflect that true light of Jesus and only Jesus in a darkened world. Do they see Jesus in you? Are your characteristics, are your mannerisms, is your nature such that when they see your life, they see him? And then lastly, we need to resound the gospel light. You see, the gospel brings light. Why? Because it's the story of Jesus. And the story of Jesus is a story about a man who came into a spiritually darkened world to bring light, and he was the light. And while he was here among us walking as he did and teaching as he did and engaging as he was, he was the light. But when he left, he left us to be the light. And now the light that we are can only be shared through what I call the gospel light. For the gospel brings light in the midst of darkness. It says in Corinthians, and it's interesting in this text, it's an interesting passage. Oops. Okay. I won't use you. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Light here is a picture of conversion. And we receive the light when we were converted by the power of the gospel of Christ. And we, as the church, as individuals are light, and as the church, we are the lighthouse. And I'm going to close with this interesting story. I'm going to read it. It's a little bit lengthy, as you can tell. But it's an interesting story about a group of people that had a desire to be a lighthouse. On a dangerous seacoast, there were shipwrecks where frequent and crude little life-saving station was built. A lighthouse was placed where there was none. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat. But the few devoted crewmen kept the constant watch over the sea. With no thought for themselves, they went out day or night, tirelessly searching for any who might need help. Many lives were saved by their devoted efforts. After a while, the station became famous. Some of those who were saved, as well as others in the surrounding area, wanted to become a part of the work. They gave time and money for its support. New boats were bought, additional crews were trained, and the station grew. Some of the members became unhappy that the building was so crude. They felt a larger, nicer place would be more appropriate as the first refuge of those saved from the sea. So they replaced the emergency cots with hospital beds and put better furniture beds in the enlarged buildings. 
Soon the station became a popular gathering place for its members to discuss the work and to visit with each other. They continued to remodel and decorate decorated until the more and more until the station took on the look and character of a club. Fewer and fewer members were interested as time went on to go out on life-saving missions, so they hired professional crews to do the work on their behalf. The life-saving motif still prevailed in the club members and stationary, and there was a liturgical lifeboat in the room where the club held its initiations. One day, a large ship was wrecked off the coast, and the hired crew brought in many boatloads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty, bruised, and sick, and some had black or yellow skin. Their beautiful new club was terribly messed up, and so the property, commi- the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside where the shipwrecked victims could be cleaned up before they came inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities altogether as being unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. Some members insisted on keeping life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out, after all, they are still called a life-saving station. However, those members were voted down and told that if they wanted to save lives, they could begin their own station down the coast somewhere else. Those few members did exactly that, but as the years went by, that new station gradually faced the same problems the other one had experienced. It too became a club, and its life-saving work became less and less of a priority. Those few members who remained dedicated to life-saving began another station. History continued to repeat itself, and if you visit that coast today, you will find a number of exclusive clubs along that shore. Shipwrecks are still frequent in those waters, but most of the people drown because the life houses no longer see their mission as saving lives. Does that describe the church today? Does that describe Emmanuel Baptist Church? today are you am I are we still interested in piercing the darkness in our community with the gospel light of the Lord Jesus Christ wherever you are wherever he's placed you wherever he's called you whatever he's given you shine for you may be the only light someone will ever see let's pray